0: Nostalgia Live Show. I'm your host, Billy Powell. Today with me is 10-year Major League Baseball veteran, the number one draft pick of the Detroit Tigers in 1980, a 1985 Major League Baseball all-star and author of Headed for Home, baseball player Glenn Wilson. Glenn, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to uh, keep the nostalgia alive and talk about your career and your book.
1: All right, you for having me on the show. I appreciate you.
0: You know, I read, Glenn, that You really, when you started playing baseball in high school, there was really no college baseball team that offered you a scholarship. Is that true?
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, I ended up getting a football scholarship, and really, that's what I wanted. Uh, Baseball was just something that I played because I was pretty good at it. Uh, It wasn't my first goal in life. And uh, luckily enough, I did get that football scholarship, but uh, also, luckily enough, the Baseball coach at Sam Houston State asked me if I wanted to play baseball also. And I didn't know you could do that. And uh, I asked him if it would get me out of spring football. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, yeah, I want to play. <laughs> so I ended up getting to play both.
0: So, so when you were when you're, when you're coming up, and you went into uh, Channelview High School. What were some of the baseball players of the day that you looked up to or enjoyed watching, or who were some of your favorite teams that you either listened to on the radio or watched on TV?
1: You know, it, it was funny because my oldest brother, Johnny, was the baseball fan of the family, and he really wanted to be a baseball player. So I listened to who he listened to and liked who he liked, which was uh, Jesus Alou, Bob Watson, uh, Johnny Edwards for the Astro, all of the Astros players, uh, a few san francisco giants um, and that was pretty much it. Um, of course, you know Don Wilson was a great pitcher, so you know we, we followed him but i I didn't have one particular favorite until Cesar Sadao came along I, I really liked him
0: now when you got the football scholarship to Sam Houston state uh what was the what was the process like back then in getting and getting a scholarship to uh, to play football? Um,
1: they were tough because I had letters from every not every but a lot of major colleges around the country. But I broke my collarbone my senior year uh, with three games to go in the season, and as a matter of fact, the University of Houston I was there watching that night, and sure enough. No offers came in after I broke my collarbone, and I I'd, I'd put up. Uh, I say I our team with me on the receiving end. I was a receiver, uh, had scored, and I was a field goal kicker. So I personally would, had touched the ball on seventy seven points in my senior year. Oh wow! So so you know I was involved. A lot. The only time I came off the field, you know, at a small high school like that, uh, was was on uh, kickoff returns. Was when they gave me a break because I did the punting also. And then when I got to college, I started as a freshman as a wide receiver and did the punting uh, also my freshman year and made all conference as a punter.
0: What was uh, what was Sam Houston State like? What while you were there? What what? It was a Division One, two A?
1: What was uh what was their division? Their division when I went there was N A I A, which actually um to me where I grew up, you know the only ones you heard a lot about was Texas, obviously, and Texas A and M and the University of Houston, because it was right down the road. And uh but so when I went to southeastern Eastern State, to me it was, you know, a four year school. I didn't think anything about it being, you know, not or not being an LSU or a Notre Dame or something like that. Uh, I was just thrilled to get the opportunity, you know, to to play football again.
0: Did you guys have a good football program? Pardon? Did you guys have a good football team?
1: No, we were terrible. We went one and nine my, my freshman year. My second year, we lost the first two games. I was declared ineligible. Uh, lost my scholarship. Had to come home and go to work that off uh, that that winter. Make enough money to get my scholarship back, and that's when I decided to go strictly baseball.
0: And tell us about what kind of baseball program did they have? Was that also NAIa also?
1: Yes, but the baseball program had been good for for a while, meaning, when I say good, they were beating the Texas and the Rice and the Baylors and the University of Houston. Uh, They were beating those schools uh, in a three-game series, two out of three at home, and then they'd win one out of three on the road. And then when I got there, they expanded with even more talent, Uh, not just myself, but we had guys like Steve Hume, Rick Keeler, uh, uh Bill Knutson, uh, uh, Bill Johnson uh, from Indiana, as a matter of fact. Uh, and we were, we were dominating those schools while I was there.
0: When did you get on the map with some of the uh, Major League Scouts?
1: You know, I'm, I'm sure it was after my sophomore year, because that was my first year since high school started to play baseball year-round. And uh, that off season, you know, they had us on a weight program, just like football. But I was hitting a baseball now and working on my defensive skills year round. And uh, uh, after my sophomore year, I had broken most of the hitting records, uh, mainly the power with power records at my at, at the college at St. Houston State. And that's when uh, they started showing up. It was my junior year. You would see. Uh, by the tenth game of the season, there were thirty thirty scouts in at the in the stands of every game we played. Oh wow! And the funny part was for me, I mean, I I didn't know that they were there to see me. So that's what made it made it interesting for me. Was there were a few players saying you know, they're here to see you on my on my team. I thought they were joking. I thought, you know, we were playing somebody that had somebody on the other team that they were there to see.
0: So once you found out that they were there to see you, did you have any kind of what was your imagination like with that? Did you did you get excited about it or
1: Um The reason I got excited about it is I was the baby of three boys. Uh, and we had no father. He had passed away when I was six. And being the baby in a family, all you ever really want—I at least for my my uh, in my uh, case—was I just wanted attention. And so I got excited that they were there, and I couldn't wait to put on a show for them. Uh, my confidence level was really, really high in those days. And yes, I loved over there because I was going to put on a show, especially batting practice, I was going to put on a show.
0: Now, now, were you more in college? Were you a contact hitter or were you a power hitter? Would you consider yourself a power hitter?
1: Oh, I was, yeah, No, I was clean up and power and lots of doubles. Uh, yeah, most definitely a power hitting third baseman.
0: Okay so now now you you know you're in college and you have these scouts looking at you do you pay more attention to major league baseball or do you you kind of uh you kind of get any kind of uh, emulate your game from any major league baseball players while you're in college
1: Not really no um we got a up, up in Huntsville which is it's only about
0: uh, an hour
1: from Houston uh, about an hour 10 minutes from where I grew up but we used to get Texas Rangers games. So when I was in college, I remember seeing Buddy Bell on television a couple of times. And I was always on the go, but I, I remembered seeing his stance and I thought, man, that's different. So, and I thought that was cool. I never copied it, but I thought, you know, man, he's a cool looking hitter. So I'd have to say my first real influence to a hitter was Buddy Bell.
0: Now, so when did scouts, when did uh, agents, when did the process of uh, of uh, you knowing that you were going to go into the Major League Baseball draft, when did that occur or start?
1: Right after the last college game. I had no scouts talking to me. My brother wouldn't talk to me about it. My mother had never said anything. They had never heard anything from anybody. But after that very last college playoff game, I'm walking in my car with my mother. And a scout walks by and says, well, I'm with the Astros, and if you're still around by the third round, we're going to take you. And that's when it hit me was, wow, I've got a really good chance. But back then, I used to be really superstitious, and so I didn't want to talk about it. You know, if it happened, it happened. If it didn't, I still had my senior year. And then, lo and behold, you know, a month later, we're sitting at the house, uh uh, it, the draft wasn't on radio <laughs> so uh, but the phone rang at 10 a.m. and it was uh, Hoot Evers on the other end of the line and he announced himself and uh, told me it just made me the first draft, uh, draft pick of the Detroit Tigers the 18th pick in the country and I was like okay
0: how How times have changed with that in the and that, you know, TV and
1: all that, right? Yeah, no internet, no TV, no uh, social media, none of that. So we had no idea. I mean, other than that one man saying what he said, and, you know, we didn't, you know, weren't going to place our hopes on one guy walking by and saying what he he had just said after my last junior college game. But, I mean, my numbers were huge. You know, you got to remember I hit 439. Which was right behind Terry Counter of Arizona State, and it was the second highest in the country. I was a collegiate All-American, a Sporting News All-American, and so I was getting a lot of press. So, you know, a part of me felt like, you know I'll, you know, I'll probably get drafted, but I don't want to. I don't want to think about it because I didn't want to jinx it. You know with how superstitions are when you're young.
0: So, what did you think, or what was your thought process uh, when you got off the phone with the Tigers?
1: Um, my, my oldest, my oldest brother, my my bride to be was there. Uh, my thought process was, uh, it couldn't, the scouts couldn't get there fast enough for uh-huh. us to negotiate a contract. You know, I just was w- wanting to start pro baseball and um, you know hurry up and go wherever they were going to send me. Uh, fortunately, I had contacted some agents, and they got me more money than I would have gotten had I tried to do it by myself, because um, I certainly didn't major in finance. <laughs> 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 so so uh, this gangly old-timer comes walking in my door three days later and uh, starts out with a number and... And he asked me, he said, well, what were you thinking? I said, what do you mean? There's number wise, What were you thinking? I said, well, the same thing that y'all just gave Kurt Gibson the year before. He goes, oh, you're no Kurt Gibson. <laughs> I, said, I said, well, shit, yeah, Kurt Gibson's not me. <laughs> and so we battled back and forth with that for a little bit. And then he said, um, well, we were thinking about um, uh, 40,000. And I'm like. 40,000, You gave Gibson 150. I said, I'm, I'm worth at least what Gibson got. And he kept saying, you're no Gibson. And that kept making me mad. And I said, uh, my brother jumped in, and he said, uh, what about 50? And I said, why don't you shut up? This <laughs> <laughs> ain't your life anymore, buddy. So we started arguing there in the living room. And uh, the scout says, well, let me, excuse me, let me go make a phone call down the street see if I can't get more money. You know, the Tigers, you know, I negotiations ago. go. And he shows up about 40 minutes later and says, well, I'm, and when he left, I had contacted uh, um, the agents I ended up hiring and uh, they said they'd take it from there. So he didn't even have to come back. Uh, my agents called me. And I went over to their place the next day, signed a contract with them, and then they told me where they were at in the negotiations. And I said, you know what, that's plenty good with me. And it was sixty two five, and, uh, you know, they gave it out in disbursements. You got uh, half of it now, and then half of it after the first of the year. That way the taxes supposedly would be less is how they explained it. And I said, whatever, you know, man, I just, I'm just ready to go play. So by uh, the tenth, uh, let's see, July nineteenth, I got married. No, wait a minute. Let's see, I signed on June third, and then was headed to Montgomery, Alabama, ten days later. So it was about the thirteenth, and they had sent me straight to Double A, which uh, you know was kind of unheard of, but but for me it wasn't unheard of because I didn't, I didn't know anything about the draft. I didn't know anything about rookie ball or A ball, or I knew there was Double A AA and Triple A. And, and so, by them sending me to Double A and me not knowing anything about it, well, I was ready to go. You know, <laughs> but that first year they I struggled so bad defensively. The next year, they made me an outfielder and uh, sent me back to Double A, and I tore it up offensively, hit over three hundred um uh got called up to triple A at the end of my second you know, half, you know, or my actually my first full year of minor league baseball. And then uh, the third year was starting uh, two and a half years later. I played opening night in triple A and had injuries in the big leagues. I'm in the big leagues at twenty three and hitting four fifty uh with two weeks to go or after my first two weeks in the big leagues and they got to send me down <laughs> because those injured guys had come off the DL. And uh, I, man, I said, wow, uh, what are you going to do to stay in this league? <laughs> I am hitting 450 in the big leagues now, and I'm griping to spark you about, well, what, what, what should I have hit? And they never trying to explain to me you know, that it's, it's not the fact that of what you're hitting it's the fact that we have these other players they're already under long contracts <laughs> they're coming off the disabled list and i still i couldn't understand it i was just mad so I, I said well i quit
0: <laughs> so
1: i took my uniform off as i'm walking off the field and throw it in my locker and thankfully uh, roger craig stopped me he was a pitching coach for the tigers then he said, "Go up and see Bill Campbell if you would." And I'm still yelling, you know, because <laughs> I don't understand anything about the uh, business side of baseball. Right. All I and all I know is, you, if you play well, you you should be in the lineup. And so, anyways, I do. I go up and see Bill Campbell, and he took the time to explain the uh, major league baseball business side to me. You know that I had options left; they don't. This is just how it works. It doesn't mean you haven't done well, doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. And so that was that was pretty awesome because I would have quit right there. I would have come on home and gone to work in a power point. Yeah, because you don't you know, huh?
0: Where did you play your triple
1: A ball? Uh Evansville, Indiana.
0: You were in Evansville triplet?
1: You bet. You bet.
0: Uh, my grandfather and I used to go to Indianapolis Indian games from 1974 until like 1985, and, and I'm sure I've seen you play. When Did you play uh, – was uh, Roy Matika there at that time?
1: Uh, Roy had not gotten there. Jim Leland was, though. Okay. Leland was the manager. Anyway, that was 82 – no, that was 80 uh, – end of 81, the beginning of 82, and then for about a month in the middle of 82.
0: How did you, how did you enjoy the travel and and AAA ball? What was it like?
1: It didn't bother me a bit. It's just like what you see on that uh, uh, show Tom Hanks did, A League of Their Own. Okay. You know, you'd be on buses just like that, and it didn't bother me a bit. You know, I'm just another part of it, and I don't know. I just didn't it didn't bother me.
0: Okay, so back up to where you were talking about once they once they explained to you the finances and then the way baseball worked, you had a better understanding of it, and you yeah, continued I had much
1: better much better understanding of it.
0: What was it like playing for Sparky Anderson?
1: Um, I could tell at least I felt. <clears throat> excuse me, in the very going, the first time I ever met him. You know how you can just tell somebody doesn't like you. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt. And uh I I didn't let it bother me at first, but once I got called up and was doing well and I wasn't saying the right things 'cause I hadn't been you know, I hadn't been in the minor leagues long enough to learn how to be humble. Uh you know, and I was like I said, I'm hitting over 450 after two weeks, or 440, something like that, after two weeks of the big leagues, and they're throwing cameras in my face. And I don't know. I've never been on television before, and they're asking one guy asked me a question. Um, well, uh, how do you think? What do you think the fans are? Uh, are how did he ask it? He said, um, "Are you surprised at how well you're playing?" And I said, "No." Not at all. I said, I'm sure the fans are, but I'm not. I've been doing this my whole life. I said, y'all just weren't there to see it. And so, you know, and that's not being very humble, but at the same time, I didn't know you, you, know, you were supposed to say certain things. Like, oh, man, I'm just happy to be in the big leagues, and, and uh, you know, I hope I continue to play well. I had had no education on that so that made Sparky Man and then uh, I was I had to dive for balls and uh, I, I was playing center a lot and the low sinking line drive I loved I felt very comfortable catching it sliding forward on my butt you know and catching it in in the basket in the basket of my belly with my glove. Well, he didn't like that. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, let's change it. You know, don't dive. That's what he told me. And I thought to myself, well, yeah. And and I felt like he was just doing that because he didn't like me. And maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I didn't know. All I know is that I was going to make the play, you know, if I could make the play. And I had no certain style or, or way, and I wasn't trying to be fancy. Uh, uh, one time I was accused of, um, by a couple of players of turning an easy play into a hard play, and that, you know, that disappointed me. Uh, but, you know, later on I talk about in my book uh, an incident that happens in Arlington. Where he doesn't start me, and he knew my family was going to be there, and I was hitting well enough to start. Um, but anyways, I don't start now. We're in the ninth inning, and and Gibson's in right, and Gibson has had not established himself yet as a uh, you know a, a solid defensive player, and so I he sends me in to play defense. And sure enough, there's runners at second and third, and we're up by two, and ball, uh, looping, line, drive, sitting down the right field line. i uh, not not the to drive, but a looping fly ball sit down the right field line. And if, if I don't dive as I'm running for it, it's not caught, which means the game's going to be tied. So I go ahead and dive, make the catch, and, you know, game over. And as I'm coming in, there's Sparky standing at the steps. And I just, you know, I just looked at him, and he looked at me, he started to say something, and I just walked off because I, I wasn't going to listen to it anymore. I already knew that, that, dude, you don't like me. You know what? But I just made a decision on the field that if I don't dive and don't catch that ball, it looks like I'm not diving and playing as hard as I can possibly play, and two runs are going to score. So I wasn't going to go through another argument with him. I just walked off, and he didn't follow me.
0: How good? How good were your uh, Tiger teams?
1: Well, we finished my second year in Detroit, which you know was my first full year, '83. We were four games back of Baltimore, and Baltimore won the World Series. So we knew we were good, and, and we we were we made a charge there towards the end of '83, and then in '84, of course, Sparky felt like he needed Willie Hernandez. And the only trade they could make uh, involved me and John Walkenfuss. And the Phillies really wanted, uh, they were going through a youth movement like they are now. And lo and behold, it was either me Howard Johnson. And I ended up being the guy that get, gets traded with six days to go in spring training. And that's when the business part started to make me mad. Is that, because uh, I wanted to be a tiger for 20 years but looking back at it I realized it wouldn't have been a healthy relationship between Sparky and I because you know Sparky was scared to death of Kirk Gibson he'd have traded him and Gibby's liable to him plumbled him through the floor <laughs> so it worked out you know it all for some reason it all works out in the end um, I don't think you're ever satisfied with your career but Anyways, that's that was the point we got to. <laughs> what
0: was what was Philadelphia like when you first got there? What, did you did you feel refreshed, or did you feel uh, um, um, ready to go even more?
1: I felt out of place that first year. I felt lost. I uh, didn't know anybody. You got to remember, I get there and we got five games of spring training is all I'm, I'm going to get before I'm playing with a whole new team. And they, and there's Mike Schmidt. Steve Carlton, Doug McGraw, Jerry Kuzman, Kent Ticoli, you know, some, some names that have been around for a long time. And, uh, I was just totally out of my element. I had been a fun loving, cut up type of guy, uh, even as a kid, um, you know, I wasn't going to have fun when I went to the ballpark and, uh, When I got to Philly and I didn't know anybody, you know, I was just a very quiet person and uh, ended up having a horrible season. They started me in left field after being in center and right for two years. And believe me, left field is the harder of the three to play if you have ever played any center or right field and they move you to left. Uh, now, if you move from left or center to right, right is a piece of cake, especially if you're a right-handed thrower. And when I, like, it's like when I look back at my managing days in, in minor league independent ball, uh, I can see why I never moved a right or a center fielder over to left. You know, if it, if it was my left fielder from the year before, he stayed in left field. Because I knew how difficult the challenge is, especially back in the day on AstroTurf. I mean, that ball got on you fast uh, after moving from uh, right to left. Now, on grass fields, it's not that big a difference. But on turf, it was really tough.
0: So 84 is over. And 85's coming along. Did you have, was there something different you did before the season started in 85? Because you had a, you know, an outstanding 1985 season. Can you tell us something I, about
1: that? I, I take it you read my book. <laughs> um, yeah, as a matter of fact, there was something I did. Um, I contacted a friend of mine from college that had these pills called Dianabol, which uh, were steroids. And for three months, I took them because the off season's really only about five months anyways. And I I don't know why, um, but I I had made up my mind I was going to lift weights. Well, I I knew I didn't want to lift weights to just lift weights. I wanted to lift weights to get bigger, stronger, faster, and I didn't have a lot of time. So I took steroids for about three months during that off season and during that off-season only. And uh, I got bigger, stronger, faster, quicker. And by doing that, my confidence also was sky high going into spring training to where I'd hit like six home runs that spring. Four of them were to the opposite way. Um, and I had to win the right field job that year, or I was probably going to be out of baseball. And it was between John Russell and I, and that was the spring of 85. And I don't know why I didn't keep taking them except for the fact that there were two former football players that had been taking them for years. They'd ended up you know, giving their testimonies on television. And, and I say testimonies. Basically, they were both dying of brain cancer, and they blamed Diana Ball. So I was glad I only took them for those three months.
0: Was that Matuzak?
1: Say that again?
0: Was that the uh, Oakland Raider that was...
1: Yeah, Lyle uh, Lyle Alzado and Lynn Matuzak, both Oakland Raiders.
0: So tell us about the beginning of the 85 season.
1: The beginning of the 85 season?
0: Yeah, what did the the Phillies look like for that year?
1: Well, we had, you know, we were still in transition, but... Um Yet Schmidt going for I think home run number four hundred at that time. And we were a very solid hitting offensive and defensive team that did not have a lot of pitching. Carlton was was struggling was, was starting to struggle bad. Jay Kuzman was up in age. Kevin Gross was a bright spot that was coming along, but You knew playing behind him, many things had happened. Charlie Hudson had been around; it was about his third year, fourth year now. Um, He his ball was starting to stay straight. His fastball was starting to stay straight; wasn't dropping the way it had done when he first came up. A pitching staff and a bullpen just wasn't where it needed to be with that offense, and you know we ended up finishing. Forgetting 20 something games behind the Nets. Uh, uh, no, that was in 86 and 85. The Cardinals won it. Uh, but we, going into that season, we felt good about our offense and we were scared about pitching. Uh, although Shane Raleigh had come in and had a pretty good year, I remember he had been with the Yankees and he bolstered the staff. Kevin actually had some really good games. And then Mike Jackson came up that year and started to become uh, a guy you could go to. So we were excited about it, but we never got off to the good start. So it was just uh, a long summer is what it was. Glenn, Uh,
0: I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, Give us a little idea of what, you know, uh, Steve Carlton and Mike Schmidt. Can you give us a little summary of what they were like? As you know, of course, we know what they were like with statistics and baseball players and their legend. But what kind of people were they? I and mean, you, you see, all these stories about Steve Carlton. Was he really kind of just to himself and an introvert?
1: No, not at all. No, to his teammates, he was one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to be around. Mike was the same way. Um, Mike and Steve, though took the game uh, to another level when it came to concentration during the game. They they were in another stratosphere. Um, when I say that, it was like, you could tell by the look in their eyes that they knew they were Hall of Famers where the rest of us knew we were, you know, participants in this season. But, no, those guys were phew, super wonderful people to be around. I mean, I mean just just awesome to be around. Uh, nice guys. Go uh, ahead. When,
0: uh, when did you find out, and how happy were you to be named to the uh, uh, All-Star team that year?
1: Um um we're in the I ha you gotta remember they had announced it on uh, I believe a Saturday or a Sunday night there in the middle of July, uh June or July, whatever it was back then, whenever they had it <laughs> July. July sixteenth was the All-Star game. So the weekend before Saturday or Sunday, they announced the team and I wasn't on it. And uh, I was devastated. Totally devastated. I this was just this was the second time that I knew I had the numbers to make it, but you know, uh, I don't think the fans voted then. Now maybe they did the second time, the first time they didn't, uh, but I was devastated because I knew I had 64 RBIs at the all-star break. And uh, I think I was second in the lead, you know, second or third in double, something like that. And I was devastated. And then um, Sunday, the day game rolled around. you know. And I'm not saying nothing to nobody because I I wasn't going to act. I understood baseball a little better now. And and I didn't act like I was disappointed. And I didn't tell any writers I was disappointed. And I acted like I wasn't disappointed uh, because I was used to having my three days off anyway. And then during a game, we were were in Atlanta. And uh, about the... I had uh, just gotten the base hit to right, and uh, Felsky had motioned for me to come off the field because I'm standing on first base, and it was against Pascal Perez was pitching, I remember. And I was like, what the heck? I mean, I don't need I don't need a rest, you know, because now I'm going established establish the big leader uh at least I had been this whole season. and I didn't have to worry about being in the lineup. I was in the lineup all the time. But anyways, I get to the day of, and uh, Belski says, Come in, and I'm like, Yeah, what's up? And he goes, uh, I need you to go upstairs and get dressed because um, you were announced to the All-Star team. And I about, Oh, man. I was like, oh, Little kid in a Candy store. I'm so excited, and I ran up, And the guys were congratulating. They all knew on the bench. And Felsky uh, had told them all. And uh, Pedro Guerrero had come up with an injury, so I was his replacement. And uh, Ben Sinos, who worked for the Phillies then, worked for Baseball Chapel now in Major League Baseball, uh, he was had up airline tickets and everything ready for me. He had already contacted my wife, was flying her out to Minnesota because that's where the game was. And it was um, probably the thrill of my career. And, yeah, being named to an All-Star team.
0: Can you tell us about the experience?
1: Um, It was like, it's an experience that that I say all the time that if somebody makes an All-Star team, they should automatically be on it the next year. (laughs) Because that first year, you're not going to enjoy it. It is so. You're in such awe, and you, you you're you're so excited. At least I was. I had a headache the whole three days I was there. I'm um, taking batting practice. I'm lo- I'm in a locker room with Nolan Ryan and Pete Rose and uh, Dave Parker and you know. <laughs> like, you know why am I in here? You know? <laughs> and you're, you're, it was just, uh, you know, and then, you know, when I was getting ready to bat in the all-star game, you know, Dick Williams is the manager and it's the two managers of the former uh, world series. There's my old manager, Sparky and the other dugout five to eight of my former teammates. And then, I'm over here with Dick Williams and Willie Hernandez, who I was mainly traded for, is on the mound. And I'm in, uh, Dick Williams tells me to get a bat to pinch it for, uh, I believe it was for Nolan. I'm, I can't remember now, it was one of the pitchers. And uh, they intentionally walked, uh, that's what it was, they intentionally walked Jim Wallach to load the bases, which meant they would have to use me because I was the last guy left. <laughs> so, so I'm in non next circles trying to get loose, trying to stay calm, and Pete Rose is... Two steps from me, screaming in my ear, shit out or castle, kid, shit house or castle. Because <laughs> the bases were loaded and he was telling me basically to hit a home run or strike out. <laughs> and I'm like, "Like I don't have enough pressure on myself already to just sit down as Mr. Hall of Famer again after me. So that was, that was a wild, uh, wild, pretty wild experience. Like I said, I wish I'd have made a second one so I could have enjoyed it.
0: So what was the rest of your career like with Philadelphia, and where did you go on to next from there?
1: Um, after Philadelphia, you know, I, I spent four years busting my butt for the fans, for the organization. Uh, and that fourth year, it was kind of a down year for me, but they, and when I say down, I mean my RBIs were down, my batting average was just a tad down. Uh for some reason they had hired another new GM. Uh first trading makes is me. And you know, I go to Seattle of all places. And that's like back in those days it was like going to AAA. And uh, and I could've nixed the trade, because uh, my heart had gone into atrial Fifth during that off season. And uh, but I was, you know, I kept my mouth shut, didn't say anything, uh uh Trebb ventured on off to Seattle and I was only there three months. I struggled so bad. Um, they had me on this, this uh heart medicine to keep my heart stable and well you know, these doctors bless their hearts, they didn't know to tell uh to tell me it causes uh slows down reaction time, and you know, <laughs> makes you sluggish. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. And soon enough, I decided to get off that medicine on my own without telling anybody. And uh, I never let anybody know about the incident because I didn't want to be labeled as damaged goods. I still right. wanted to play, play in the big league, so I kept that as quiet as I could. And uh, I ended up getting traded to Pittsburgh um, the day after I came off the medicine and so I get back to Pittsburgh that same year that was 88 and I start falling right back into the same you know groove that I was in in Philadelphia for three years so uh, it, it, that was fun and plus I had Leland as a manager again and, and then I'd gone and play 88-89 uh, with Pittsburgh and then uh, Pittsburgh catcher LaBoya got hurt so we were trying to get Alan Ashby, and they couldn't. They ended up trading me for Billy Hatcher. You know, then I became this journeyman, and or you get labeled as a journeyman when you start getting to be that guy that's traded right before the trade deadline to a team that's in the hunt. Uh, so anyway, at least I got to play a year and a half here in my hometown of Houston. Um, I sit out two years after, after the 90s, 90 season, I, or at the end of August, uh, no, at the, yeah, at the end of August, September 1st, I went, I went in the hospital for knee surgery. I destroyed my right knee. And it took me a year and a half to rehab but even though I tried to come back the year before, I wasn't ready. And sure enough, I, I made it back to the big leagues in 93 after sitting out two years. Uh, thinking I was going to be a pinch hitter off the bench for the Pirates, and uh, it just it wasn't working. Uh, I they played me every day in Buffalo for about two months, and they called me up and then tried using me as a pinch hitter, and I just was not a good pinch hitter at all. So uh, they released me, asked me to go back to AAA and help Doc Edwards, who had uh, really became. Uh, really tight with Doc Edwards was the manager in Buffalo, New York and the triple A team had a chance to win that championship. And uh, Ted Williams or Ted Simmons now was the general manager for the pirates. And so, uh, I ended up, uh, being asked to go down to triple A. Uh, and I said, yeah, I'll go down and help him. So I ended up going down there. And sure enough, I'm 34 now. And, uh, End up wrenching my back with about ten days to go, and we're about two games out of first place. And uh, sure enough, we end up missing it by two games. And I had to, you know, just sit in the stands of those last uh, whatever it was seven, 10 games that I couldn't play. And then that was that's when I knew I was done.
0: Uh, I have I have two questions for you. The first question is, uh, what was it like playing in at the Astrodome, playing in Houston? Uh, and my second question is, if, unless I'm totally wrong, I see that you actually pitched one inning.
1: Yes. Um, first question: Playing in the Astrodome and in my hometown, it was uh, it was a dream come true because uh, I'd been to Astro games as a kid. Uh, it was a different atmosphere. Uh, oh than the Seattle Kingdome. The Kingdom was a very cold place. The Astrodome was pretty warm, although it was a very big stadium, meaning the fences were a long ways away. But however, I did have about the same success I had in any other stadium. So that was, that was very enjoyable. Um, and then your second question was what again?
0: If I see correctly within your statistics, you pitched an inning.
1: Yes, in um, 1987. Yes, uh, we were in Shea Stadium, and you can see it on YouTube. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's it, it's it's on YouTube. You type in Glenn Wilson pitching. Uh, the first two hitters are on one one page, and then you got to find the third page where the final hitter is Rafael Santana. But we were out of pitching. Uh, we had been getting beat up pretty bad. Uh, Leo you asked me if I had an inning in and I, I said, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. And I was so excited, I couldn't stand it. And um, that was actually uh, as much fun as anything I ever got to do in the big leagues. Because, you know, when you're a position player, you, you, you don't ever pitch. But the majority of position players in the big leagues were always pitchers when they were little leagues. So, for me, I was gonna have a good time, but Lee, Lee Ilya had told me do not embarrass the game, and I knew what that meant. You know, don't be laughing out there. So, <laughs> but sure enough, uh, I go into my Nolan Ryan routine. I had a, I I try I would always try to copy Nolan Ryan. Anyways, I'm mean, uh, goofing <laughs> off on the sides. And when I would make my warm-up throws in the outfield, and I threw a pretty darn good mean split finger, you know, and I never liked to brag, but I'd done it so much, but it was always on the flat ground. So anyways, when I started to warm up in that inning, I thought, well, I'm going to throw hard, you know, just really just blow it by people. And about my third pitch of throwing hard, I felt something in my shoulder, uh, bite, And I was like, oh, shoot, I ain't doing that. (laughs) And so I literally just started throwing high school curveballs and split fingers and would just show fastballs rolling away out of the strike zone. And the most amazing part of it was here's a guy who has not been on a mound except since high school except one time, and that was in a scrimmage in college, and can walk up to that mound and get three hitters out. And that's what I had preached to my players when I managed independent minor League ball, is that hitters will get themselves out as long as you don't give them something to hit out. <laughs> and, and that's what I didn't do. And if you, if you get a chance to look at the video, check it out. It's, uh, it's, it's really funny because Harry Callison and, and Whitey Ashman are laughing so hard they're almost crying. So I would check it out. That was that was that was a blast.
0: And so and you got a strikeout. Who did you strike out?
1: Ended up striking out uh Howard Johnson, the guy I went to the big leagues <laughs> with on the very same day. We went to the big leagues together and I ended up facing him in a major league game.
0: <laughs> was it a big adjustment once you were done with baseball? Was it a big adjustment to you know, did you just decide did you, you know, go right into
1: coaching? No, it's still an adjustment. Are you kidding? Yeah. Um, It's it's you know because you can't replace the enthusiasm uh, that that game brings to you. You can't replace waking up every day knowing that you know worst case scenario, ten twenty thousand people are going to be in the stands to watch you work. Plus, you're hitting the ball. You're you're getting to run. You're staying in shape, and that means you're exercising. So no, it, it, it'll all. Those people that say, "Oh, I'm just," yeah, great for you, buddy. You must uh, went to college and you got a great education, because <laughs> yes, I certainly didn't. But um, it was it's, it was tough for me for a long, long time. Uh, you finally get used to retirement, uh, which I don't recommend either. Uh, sitting around doing nothing but uh, you know you you better find something that you really really enjoy and that's what's cool now it helps me understand fans of the game of baseball because you got to remember I was never a fan of baseball but uh, since I've been out I understand now you know how I could have been a fan of baseball if I hadn't made it. You know, I probably would have been a fan of baseball.
0: Glenn, how did the book come about?
1: Um, well, it came about because I did something that uh, I needed to do. Uh, one was when I had, it was injured in Buffalo. Uh, the doctor's uh, at that hospital had put me on pain medication and they told me I'd have to be on it the rest of my life. That my back was wrenched and it and was. I stayed on it and took it like it was supposed to be taken for 10 years. I mean, uh, before I ever even knew it was a narcotic because uh, I'd never done drugs in my life. And, uh, I took a leap of faith, went in search of God and, uh, uh, through the, was able to throw the pills away, and uh, as I was reading the Bible one night, I got to a to a scripture, and it felt like I was told to write a book. And when I, well, well, the funniest part is, I'd actually already started this book. And you'll probably be able to tell that in the first eight chapters (laughs) because I set out to uh, just I was I was really bitter on baseball, the business part of it. And that was my intent in the very beginning. But after I would read the Bible so much, I realized that, wait a minute, I, I needed to take a look in the mirror. You know, I was the fortunate one. Uh, you know, they were just doing their jobs, and you know, doing what was best for their teams. So that's pretty much how the book come, came about. It was it was more about I needed to get a message to fans so that they it would help them understand players better, but also understand uh, what's after baseball. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I read a couple excerpts from it on Amazon.com, and I also ordered a copy of it so I can read the rest of the copy of it, but it's a fantastic read.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I never never dreamed I would write a book, never even thought about it in my whole life, other than I had one college professor tell me, you know, you've got some talent for writing. And... Uh, so that gave me the, the courage to, to start. And believe it or not, it took me four years to write that because um, I had other things going on in my life at the time. So it wasn't like I was just sitting around the house all day, you know, able to write a book. So. But I am I am very proud now. I say proud. Uh, I'm happy that I got it done.
0: Glenn, well, what, do what, what do you do now?
1: Um, right now, uh, nothing. Uh, what do I do? Uh, I help my, I'm a great house husband. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> I, I know how to buy groceries. I know how to cook. Uh, my wife still works. We've, we've been married thirty four, thirty five years now. Um, she still works. Uh, she's an interior decorator. Um, Other than that, I read a lot and watch a lot of TV.
0: Uh, Do you recollect your Grand Slam? Can you recollect your Grand Slam to us?
1: Yes, yes, I remember that like like it was yesterday, or pretty much like it was yesterday. Uh, The only reason I do is because I was going for 100 RBIs and I was running out of games (laughs) and uh, I knew it happened, or I remember it happened in uh, Wrigley Field, and I already had one home run on the day. And uh, then I hit the Grand Slam off Jay Bauer, or Ray Bunk, no, I'm sorry, the other home, the solo was off Jay Bauer, which gave me 91 RBIs with, let's see, four in Montreal and six, I got 10 games to play. So now I had, uh, had to get nine and 10 games and ended up getting my 10th, in my ninth game and set out the last game of the year. And I don't know why Felsky asked me if I wanted to. And I said, yeah, why not? I'll take it to y'all. When I could have added on to and got another double and ended up tied for first in the league in doubles. <laughs> Glenn,
0: Glenn, what ballpark did you not like to play in?
1: Um, Probably Shea back in the day because it was so dirty. I mean, the dust, the dust was flying everywhere. And that was the only stadium that ever bugged me, although I hit well there. uh, My first couple of times in Dodger Stadium, I didn't like it because, and I don't know, it just seemed like a big ballpark. The mound felt like it was higher than all the other mounds, and come to find out later it was. Uh, And, of course, Seattle, uh, that dome at Kingdome was awful. Who
0: had the worst fans?
1: Uh, the worst fans. Um, yeah, the ancient I mean, the Mets. The Mets fans—they were—they were, you know, as vulgar as could be. However, the Bleacher fans in Chicago—they knew my wife's name, my kids' name. Now, and they used them on me, but. They also played with me because I would joke back and forth with them, and, but there were a few times they crossed the line, but Shea fans crossed the line as soon as you show up. Uh, Yankee fans are better, than, are much more mature than, than Shea fans.
0: Yeah, were you a part of any bench uh, clearing brawls?
1: Uh, one that I started uh, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a minor league one. Uh, and, then, of course, it happened to be against Dick Williams' uh, son, Billy. Uh, I believe his name was Billy. But anyways, it was Dick Williams' son was the pitcher, and I thought he threw at me on purpose, so I chose him out on that one. <laughs> had one in spring training when I was with the Pirates against my former team, the Phillies, and then Dalton started tossing me around like a rag doll. Uh, because he had been a college wrestler, and he ends up grabbing me and throws me over once, and I pop up and grabs me again. He goes, "Oh, really? Get out of here! You can't fight." <laughs> so uh, those those were really the only two good ones. I was involved in a couple of minor, you know, pushing matches, but other than that, no, uh, only those two.
0: Glenn, do you still have any relationships with any of your former teammates or players?
1: Mm, you know, I run into some every now and then, but I, as far as picking up the phone and talking no. Uh uh-uh. I didn't I haven't talked to anybody in probably seven, eight years. Uh other than an autograph signing I, I did in King of Prussia, Philadelphia, uh last year or year before last. Uh I saw John Candelaria, um uh, um uh, Yes, I think it's a once him well, uh, but as far as staying in touch now, players most players don't stay in touch.
0: Was that the only interaction that you had with Pete Rose? Was uh, at the All-Star Game experience, or did no. you ever have any other interactions Uh
1: Well, we were on the flight back together after the All-Star Game because we the Phillies were going to be in Cincinnati, so I was in I was up there in first class with him. We were sitting side by side, and then. When I was with Pittsburgh, he and I had uh, another conversation before a Sunday day game because I used to get to the park early and so did he, and he was out already dressed for a 1 o'clock game at 9.30 as I was walking in the ballpark. And uh, he said, come over here. and So I sat down and we visited for probably an hour or just about baseball.
0: That must have been amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it did. (laughs) tell me about it, seeing Pete Rose, and then I went to the Hall of Fame Inductions for Harry Callas, and I went down and saw Pete, took my youngest son, Andy. I mean, the guy took every picture that I would have wanted with my son, you know, I mean, an incredible man, bless his heart, he got wrapped up in in an awful, an an awful addiction that, um, you know, that wasn't brought on by him. His dad that's what his dad did. Never kid wants to do what they dad doing,
0: Well, Glenn Wilson, it has been a fantastic hour with you keeping the nostalgia alive about your Major League Baseball career, and uh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. Y'all have a great day. All and right. I hope you get, I will play get, the, you make sure you sell a million books for me now so I will be able to do something.
0: I've got a good promo on Facebook, and once I get the podcast done, and when, when I'm going to get ready to, uh, uh, share the show. I'll let you know all the details so you can listen in and also uh, let's see if we can sell some of the books for you. All
1: right, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Great it, it, no, it,
0: it has been a pleasure of mine. Thank you so much. Okay. All right.
1: Bye bye. Bye bye.